0: Very cool. Welcome to Redemption Gateway. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here and part of our preaching team. Seth is as well, as is Josh Watt, who leads our Next Gen Ministry. And it's just so awesome to be able to be here with you today, especially for those of you who this is your first time. Thank you so much for uh, for coming. I can't believe you found a parking spot, but you made it. And you're here and uh, we're going to have a big party after this as well. So I know that a bunch of you are new and a bunch of you, uh, maybe this is your first time or you've just been around for a little bit. So I thought it might actually be helpful to uh, just introduce you kind of through a picture to my family. Uh, This is my family. I've been married to Molly for 17 years. We have four kids. Abby's 13, Caitlin's 10, Mary is five, and uh, Hank is three. Uh, No, he's two. I'm getting ahead of myself. He's two. Uh, Mary, there we call Madam President because she, there uh, in the middle, she's sort of, you know, hands on hips, she's in charge everywhere she goes. So uh, that's uh, that's my crew, and uh, it's just an incredible joy to, to be in leadership and to pastor this church, and uh, one of the joys that I have is really to open up the scriptures, and so that's what we're going to do here together today. Uh, to give you a sense of kind of uh, what we're going to do over these next few weeks, uh, today I'm going to introduce you to a phrase that is really significant, that has shaped who we are as a church, that's going to continue to shape us, and that I think is actually an invitation that you can get in on. So we'll talk about that today. Next week, we're going to celebrate baptisms, and uh, baptisms are just this incredible opportunity to see how Jesus changes people's lives, and uh, we actually have some remarkable stories you're going to hear next week as we celebrate baptism, and then the week after that, we'll kick off the series that will really launch us through the rest of the fall, which is going to go through the book of Exodus. So that's kind of our bread and butter, is just opening the Bible and teaching from it, and so that's what we have the opportunity to do here uh, today from Matthew chapter 3. 13, verse forty-four, as well. So, uh, so that's what we're doing. This phrase that you see up on the screen, "All of life is all for Jesus." That's a phrase that's been around here, our church, for a while. And so, uh, I thought it would be really helpful because this is such a common phrase here uh, for those of you who are part of our church. I thought it'd be really helpful for you to like make sure you understood this and thought through what does it mean, where does it come from, is there even a picture or a story that would help kind of put flesh on what it means that all of life is all for Jesus. I also thought it would just be helpful for those of you who are new, who are kicking the tires here, maybe you got invited by somebody, you don't really know what this is all about. I thought it'd be a great way to just introduce you a bit to to who we are, is to help explain this phrase, all of life is all for Jesus. So hopefully what this will be, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, it'll be an explanation of what it means, but also an invitation to be able to get in on it. And in order to kind of help us look at it, we're going to look at this one-verse parable in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. It's one of my favorite verses, actually, in the whole Bible. Here's what it says. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. You know, when I was a kid or when I was a teenager, if you had asked me, do you believe in Jesus? I would have said, yeah. I grew up kind of going to church uh, more than I didn't, I guess. Uh, Went to a number of like mom's day out things when I was a kid and vacation Bible school type stuff. And so I I thought that I was a Christian. If you said, hey, do you believe in Jesus? I'd go, well, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I might even point back to a moment that I had when I was seven or eight years old. I grew up in Denver and I remember uh, that Billy Graham came to town and did one of his events at Mile High Stadium, where the Broncos played. And what I remember about that, I don't remember many details, but I do remember the moment when he said, if any of you would like to give your life to Jesus, you can come down on the field right now and give your life to Jesus. And he had me at come down on the field. (laughs) Because I was a huge Broncos fan, huge John Elway fan. And so I went forward to give my life to John Elway. I mean give my life to Jesus but that's kind of like like I went down and I was kind of saying that I was believing but really I just, I just man this is where John Elway plays can you believe it was just amazing and so I would have thought of myself as someone who believed in Jesus but if you probed a little bit you'd go you might believe in Jesus but you treasure the Broncos and what I've learned is the question is not do you believe in Jesus Because the scripture says that actually even demons believe in Jesus. The question is, do you treasure him? Do you see him as valuable, beautiful, majestic, worth giving up everything to have? Do you treasure Jesus? That question really comes out of this verse. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. So what I want to do in our time together today is I want to just kind of break down phrase by phrase talk through, make sure we understand this one verse, because in it, I think, is the message of the gospel, and really it helps us unpack that phrase, all of life is all for Jesus. So that's what we're going to do today. Join me, and let's, uh, let's pray together for our time. Father, uh, thank you again for the opportunity to gather. Thank you for all of the people who've worked really hard to uh, make this day possible, for all of the people who have prayed in preparation this week to uh, prepare our hearts for meeting with you. God, we ask you now that you would open your word to us. Help us not just to see with our eyes, but to see with our hearts. Help us to esteem and value Jesus appropriately. God, we don't just want to believe, we want to treasure. Help us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the first part of this verse says, The kingdom of heaven the kingdom of heaven. This is what Jesus is talking about. He's giving an analogy. He's giving a parable of what it's like to have the kingdom of heaven. Now, this phrase, the kingdom of heaven, is used 32 times in the gospel of Matthew. Matthew was one of Jesus' followers, and so it made sense that as he had spent time listening to Jesus talk and seeing Jesus do the things that he did, he wrote this story to tell people about the Jesus that he knew. And so it's 32 times in this in this book, this, this document he wrote, he uses the phrase kingdom of heaven. Uh, We're looking here in chapter 13. In chapter 13, he uses the phrase eight times. This is a major theme of Jesus' teaching, the kingdom of heaven. And if you read uh, Matthew 13, it's often the kingdom of heaven is like this, and the kingdom of heaven is like that, and the kingdom of heaven is like this picture, and the kingdom of heaven is like that word illustration, right? And he's just trying to describe the kingdom of heaven, this is Jesus' shorthand for describing Christianity, the gospel, the message that he came to bring. Jesus is trying to help people understand his message, and he keeps using this phrase, the kingdom of heaven. And so because he keeps using this phrase, it seems important that we think for a moment about what, it, what the significance is that he uses the word the kingdom of heaven. And, and I think the simplest way to say it is that to be a Christian, to follow Jesus, to enter the kingdom of heaven, means you are changing from being self-ruled to being ruled by God. So this is not just about some intellectual belief that you kind of add into your already existing categories, but rather this is a kind of yielding and surrendering and submitting of your heart to a new king. We're all ruled by ourselves, we're ruled by our desires, we're ruled by our influences. Jesus says, you want to be part of the thing I'm doing, you're getting a new, a new king. So this is not a, a slight change in degree, this is a whole change in dimension. Right? Some, of you, uh, some of you kids and some of you parents, you, you're making a big move now where you, you were in elementary school and now you're going to middle school. And this feels like this huge cataclysmic change uh, because you got new teachers and you got a locker and you used to have just one teacher, but now you have multiple teachers and uh, there's this new campus you have to go to. But, but, but get this, it's a, it's a change in degree. Your mom and dad still have to drop you off through a nightmarish pick up and drop off process. Any school you go to, I know it's bad, right? And, and it's it's really a lot of the same kids probably that you were with before. It's a, it's a change. It's a small change. It's a change in degree. A bigger change will be when you go to college. That'll be a change of dimension. You might be in a new city. You might be in a new place with nobody that you know, right? And you're going to have to get very good at things you haven't had to be good at, like cooking and cleaning and begging your parents for money and all sorts of other things. Right? And so that's a change of dimension. It's a whole new way of living when you go off on your own to college versus when you go to elementary, to middle school. That's eh, a change in degree. The kingdom of heaven is a change in dimension. It's a whole new way of thinking. And so it's very disruptive. Right? We, come, we come to Jesus and we think, you know what? I know I'm not perfect. I got a few things wrong in my life. And uh, I, I need some help. And we think we need like a little bit of help. And God comes in and goes, (laughs) bless your heart. You think you need a little bit of help. You need a ton of help. And, And here's the good news. He's ready to give it to you. But it means he's going to be in charge. His kingdom is going to reign. Things are going to go his way. So it's very disruptive. If you think, well, I just need God's help because I, oh, God, I got this test. Help me pass this test. Oh, God, you know, my family, we just need a little help right now. God is far more interested, not in those little changes of degree. He's interested in renovating your whole life. I love the word picture of this that C.S. Lewis gives. Here's what he writes about it. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. He says, imagine that you, who you are as a person, you're a house. Okay, that's the picture. He says, God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. Maybe you're here today because you're going, you know what, I need a little tweak. I need a little help. I need a little adjustment. I need a little inspiration. Jesus is saying... I didn't come to bring that. I came to bring a new kingdom, a new reality, a new rule, a new authority. That's what Jesus is coming to bring. So, so what is it like then to enter that kind of new reality, to enter that kind of kingdom? Well, that's what he's trying to explain with this whole story. So he uses a parable, an illustration, a comparison. Uh, the illustration is, is not like this literally happened, but he's just saying, imagine this is kind of what it's like. Uh, here's what he says, verse 34 The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. He says, The kingdom of heaven, this new life, this new reality with God, is like treasure hidden in a field. Now, this feels weird to us. Why would you hide treasure? in a field. Who is just doing this? And uh, that's because we have banks, and we have electronic ways to move money. You wouldn't have had that in these days, right? In Jesus' day, if you had very valuable things, if you had family heirlooms, if you had silver, if you had gold, if you had jewels, uh, there wasn't a place where you could just store those. You had to hide them. And so it was not uncommon for people who had valuables to hide them, maybe in a home, oftentimes in a piece of land. They would bury it. Right? And so this guy has, has found this treasure that, that has been buried. It's been hidden. Not everybody saw it. He's able to see something that, that not everyone else is seeing. We don't know what happened, right? Again, this is just an imaginary story, but if you kind of play it out, what might have happened? Well, perhaps somebody just uh, buried it and they couldn't remember. That's what I would do, right? Like, I know it's, I know it's here somewhere, Right? Uh, It's probably more likely in this case that you might find treasure because the person who owned the property had died unexpectedly and hadn't told everyone where it was. We don't know. We don't know how he found it. Did he walk by and see something? Did he uh, start digging around because he had gotten hired for a different project and he tink, tink, tink found some treasure? We don't know. But for whatever has happened, there's been this treasure that's been hidden and so it says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found. He found it and he covered it up. This word found is important because this word uh, does not mean that he was looking for treasure, right? This was not the person that you see when you go to the beach in California. I'm sorry if this is you, but if this is you, y'all are crazy. Crazy. Like there are so much better ways to spend your time than this. But but you've seen that you've seen that it's usually guys, right? And they've got the metal detector. And they're walking around on the beach, with their headphones. And you're like, I bet your wife is glad you're out here. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> some of you are like, I'm never coming back. I do that all the time. Okay, that's go. <laughs> Everyone has their hobbies, right? But, but that's, not, right, that's a person that's looking for treasure. I'm looking to find something. That's not this. This word found is the idea of someone who stumbled upon it, someone who wasn't looking for it, someone that wasn't expecting it, almost like it found him. And uh, this all just, I know, feels sort of ridiculous, but, but this kind of thing actually happened even recently in California. And I want to just show you an example of this. This is from a CBS news story. Uh, take a look at this. Northern California is known as gold country, and today we learned that a family near San Francisco struck it rich in their own backyard. They stumbled across an old can sticking out of the ground. Then they found seven more inside were 1,400 mint-conditioned gold coins from the 19th century. Some of them are so rare they could be worth a million dollars apiece. The couple wants to remain anonymous, plans to sell the coins online. Yeah. The couple wants to remain anonymous, you think? Yeah, right, because if people knew about this, they'd come after them, right? So this couple finds this treasure. They weren't looking for it. They weren't after it. They weren't with uh, metal detectors. They just stumbled on it. That's the same guy. Now, the difference is those people found it and it was on their property. This guy finds it and it's on someone else's property. He has to get it. We'll talk about that in a moment. But it's just striking. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found, stumbled on. In other words, in order to see this treasure, it had to be revealed to him. It had to be, he had to be kind of illuminated to it. See, this is what's remarkable when you think about Jesus, when you think about the kingdom of heaven, is that everybody has an opportunity to see it, but most people don't see it. And it's not because it's not valuable, it's because we don't have the ability to see it. And so Jesus is saying, the kingdom of heaven, is, is, it, it, it breaks in on you when you are able to see that Jesus is a treasure, A lot of people didn't see Jesus even though they saw him look with me if you will if you have your bible uh, just turn over a page or just uh, scroll down a little bit to Matthew chapter 13 uh, verse 53 so the same chapter it says and when Jesus had finished these parables he went away from there and coming to his hometown so Jesus has been teaching other places now he's coming to his hometown everybody knows him here Surely these people who've seen Jesus, I mean, they'll be so pumped about all the things he's teaching, all the things he's doing. He, coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. This is one of the most amazing verses to me, right? You expect that Jesus would show up in his hometown and they're like, finally, he's back. You, you guys remember back in the yearbook? Get out the old yearbook. They get out the old yearbook. Yep. Sure enough. There he is. Jesus was voted most likely to be Messiah and he's back, <laughs> right? That's what you kind of expect to have happen. But instead, Jesus shows back up to his hometown. He was such a normal person while he was also divine, that when he showed up to his hometown doing all these things, saying all these things, people went, eh, I don't think so. Which means you can see Jesus and not see him. This was true of the whole nation of Israel. John chapter one, verse 11 said, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. See, some of you think, you know what? I would trust in Jesus. I would be a Christian. I would enter the kingdom of heaven if I could just see it. I just need to see, I need to see Jesus. I I need to see something really happen. I I just can't take it on faith. I need to actually see it. And I'm here to tell you today that even if you saw it, you might not see it. Look at what it says in John chapter 11. Jesus' good friend Lazarus has just died. He's been buried. He's been buried in this tomb for quite some time. The body is starting to decompose. Jesus shows up. It says in John 11, when he'd said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. This is not normal, by the way. I have not been at a a cemetery where people are standing above tombs going, come out. Right? Jesus is doing that. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. Do you know what the most amazing word in that paragraph is? Many. Whoa, whoa, wait, wait, let me get this straight. Jesus called into a tomb. The man in the grave clothes came out. And just many people believed? I mean, doesn't, shouldn't that say, everybody believed, all believed. See, you're sitting there thinking, oh, if I saw, if I saw someone raised from the dead, I would believe. Would you? See, this is a treasure that has to be revealed to you. You have to have eyes to be able to see it. What's amazing if you read the gospel of Mark is you find the only people that can really see who Jesus is are the blind people. So sight is not about what you can physically see. It's about what your heart sees and values and treasures. So let me ask you, have you seen Jesus? Jesus is a treasure. Have you seen him? Has your heart esteemed him and valued him and and assessed his worth to be what it really is? Have you seen him? I was thinking this week, oh, what could I, what would I say if I just had a moment to just describe why Jesus is a treasure? To me. What'd I say? And so I, I, I wrote this paragraph. Jesus was the friend of sinners, the one who challenged false religion and comforted those who were crushed by it, the one who saw people, truly saw them, and still moved toward them in tenderness, the one who touched lepers, comforted doubters, healed the hurting, fed the hungry. He was angry with the hard of heart, but patient with the slow of heart. He could befriend the elites. And the everyman. He taught with authority. He confounded his critics. He made everyone think. He never watered down his message just to make people happy. He was tough and tender. Heroic and humble. He had the power to calm the raging sea. And to crush his enemies. Yet he allowed himself to be crushed in the sea of judgment for sin that he did not commit. On the cross, he forgave his enemies and he looked out for his friends. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that brought us peace and by his wounds we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have wandered astray and the Lord laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. Surely he is the son of God. Have you seen him? Have you seen him? Because listen, if you hear that and you go, eh, okay, that is not because Jesus is not a glorious treasure, it's because you can't see. If we look at Jesus and go, eh, whatever, that's on us. And God, in His mercy, even in this moment, is revealing Himself to you. He's letting you in on the secret. He's the treasure, He's the joy. He's given himself to you so you could find life and so you could find forgiveness and you could find healing and you could find hope so that you could have God. How do we experience this treasure? Well, here's what it says in the rest of the verse. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. See, here's the problem this guy has. This wasn't his his property, right? He's not in Northern California and he stumbles on this gold in his own property. No, he's found it on someone else's. And so he has to get that property. The problem is it's gonna cost him everything. There's no payment plan he can arrange. He can't go halfway. In order to get that field, he has to liquidate everything, all of his possessions, his home, his furnishings, his valuables, it all has to go. Which means, I mean, a lot of this stuff, if, 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 you're, if you're like me, there's a lot of things in your house you go, you know what, I could, I could get rid of that. But there's also a lot of things that are really precious. Oh, my, my grandpa gave me this. And this has been in our family for generations. And, oh, I'll never forget that Christmas when I got this. And he gives it all up. See, it's not because those things weren't valuable. It's because something was more valuable. So those things were treasures. They were valuable. They did matter. But he says something matters more. And so I'll get rid of the thing that matters less in order to get what matters more, in order to get this field, in order to get this treasure. This is costly because if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to esteem his, as a treasure, here's what you're saying. You're saying, I am going to treasure him above everything else. And this is hard because we all like to treasure other stuff. We've treasured our physical possessions. We've treasured our family. We have to go, God, you know what? I trust you with my family. I want what's best for him, but you're in charge. I can't be in charge. You, you've treasured, I've treasured, we've treasured our careers, our work. You say, okay, that's on the altar, God, do with it what you will. See, when we say all of life is all for Jesus, this is what we're saying. We're saying Jesus is the treasure that all of the rest of our life just goes under. We're willing to part with all the rest of it as long as we get him. That's costly. This is what Jesus is requiring of anyone who would be a disciple. Look at what he said in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Deny yourself. The things you used to treasure, not anymore. Follow me into death, that's picking up your cross. You do that to get him. Again, this is more than we want, right? We wanted to admit, yeah, I have a little bit of need. I have a little bit of sin. I have a little bit of problem. And God says, no, 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 no. Everything must go. I want to change all of it. So, so the question is, as costly as it is then to follow Jesus, because again, Jesus isn't looking for havesies. He's not looking for you to sprinkle them in. He wants to rearrange the whole house and build a palace that he's going to live in. And that's going to mean it hurts when all of our stuff we've built and our lives gets torn down. Why would we do it? Well, this verse tells us why. Don't miss the phrase. It says, the kingdom of heaven... It's like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Notice, it does not say he found this field, so he liquidated all of his valued possessions and was sad. But then, after the treasure of the field came through, he had joy. That's not what it says. It says, get the order, in his joy, he sold everything he had. He was happy to do it. He was eager to do it. (laughs) I can't believe I get to give up everything because when I give up everything, I'm getting more. That's what it is to follow Jesus. Yes, you give up your comfort. Yes, you give up your power. Yes, you give up your other things that you valued. Yes, your family can no longer be the main thing you live for, but you do it joyfully. You say, let good and kindred go. This mortal life also. The body they may kill. But his kingdom's forever. That's the good news of the gospel. How do you know if something's expensive? It depends what it is, right? Like, like how much, those of you who are college students, how much would you pay for like a two-hour nap? Why well, lot you would go, I get plenty of naps, I wouldn't pay much for that, right? How about moms, those of you home with a few kids, how, how much would you pay? Right, here's a great, you wanna just wake up laughing because you'll make so much money, here's an idea. Start a business where moms can bring their kids and get really good safe childcare and they can just take a nap for an hour. They will just part with money all day long to make that happen, right? Because it's valuable, right? If I, if I said to you, hey, you know what, I got something, uh, and I'll give it to you, uh, but it's, it's $200. It's going to cost you $200. Do you want it? What would you say? What is it? What is it? it depends. I don't know. What, what do you got? So no, it's a water bottle. You go, I'm good. If I said, brand new Range Rover, you'd say, I don't have any money at all, but I'll be back in an hour. Like, I'll make that happen, right? Because it's just that valuable, right? This is the whole thing. If you have seen Jesus as the treasure that he is, then you go, you know what? I'll, I'll let everything else be secondary to him. So when we say all of life is all for Jesus, here's what we're saying. We're saying, I have found such a satisfying treasure in Jesus that I'm willing to have my whole life rearranged around him. It might be costly, but it's worth it because I get him. So this is what I want to invite you and challenge you to get part of, to call you into, is to center your life on Jesus, to find him to be the treasure that he is, to see him and value him the way he is, and then to have all of the rest of your life reshuffled around enjoying him. That's why we exist as a church, is because we believe that Jesus is the greatest treasure we could ever have. And we want people far and wide to know him and to grow in him and to experience the joy of having their life built on him. So join us. Be part of it. This is something any of us can get in on, and it's amazing. Let's pray. Father, You have revealed Jesus to be the treasure that our hungry hearts are looking for. God, forgive us for settling for small ambitions, for being satisfied on less valuable things. And God, I pray that you would give us the faith and the joy to be able to be willing to sacrifice anything we might previously value in order to put our hope and our faith in you. God, thank you for how you win us, how you love us, how you move toward us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.